Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast where we interview MedTech leaders about the critical data-driven decisions they make during their product development projects. I'm your host, Andy Rogers. Today we're talking software. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, how's it going? <laughs> Thanks for your time, man. I, I appreciate it. Is it true software is eating the world? <laughs> I don't know if it's eating the world. It's definitely running the world for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's running my kids' world. I'll tell you that much. Uh, they're they're on their tablets quite a bit, and uh, and so am I actually. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at KeyTech, and you know what your area of expertise is. I am a computer engineer here at KeyTech. I've been in the software development world for maybe 15 years, I think, at this point, with the last nine being here at KeyTech. You know, here at KeyTech, we've been, you know, focusing on medical device software, both, you know, on the embedded PCs. I personally have worked on, you know, both of those sides and worked on multiple, you know, diagnostic and therapy devices, you know, working through firmware and PC software, just kind of depending on the project, so. Thanks for joining. So today, uh, we're, we're talking a... a about one of the standards that applies, you know, for software development, specifically for medical devices, clinical diagnostic platforms, and that's the IEC 62304 standard that we all, I think, know and love, but there's a nuance here. We want to talk a little bit about, you know, when 62304 applies, when it doesn't, and, you know, the, the crux of what we're going to talk about today is, you know, even if, if 62304 doesn't necessarily apply or it might apply in the future, we're going to talk about applying sort of the, the spirit of, of that standard in some of the software development activities that, that you, I know yourself have led and have, have, um, have, have worked with others to do as well. So, uh, let's first start the, uh, the episode here with defining what 62304 is. So Jamie, take it away. Sure. So uh, IEC 62304 is really a global harmonized standard for medical software device development. Here in the U.S., it's recognized by the FDA as the Software Development Lifecycle Process Standard. And uh, it's also recognized around the world as the primary standard for medical device software development, which makes it convenient for us, you know, as device developers, as we can speak the same process language, no matter where our devices are going to be certified or, or even used. You know, at its core, it divides software up into safety classifications, um, with class A software being the least uh, safety critical or least risky, and class C being the highest uh, level of concern, where you have the potential for multiple deaths and serious injury. And in each of these levels has kind of a different set of process activities uh, associated with it that we need to follow. So class A may all only require a certain, you know, kind of set of uh, documentation and testing parameters, whereas class C will require, uh, you know, kind of a lot more and a higher standard, basically. Got it. So I think the key word when I, when I hear you describe the standard is, is process. Yeah. It seems like, you know, the FDA isn't going to open up an electronics box and start looking at the code, right? So, so to speak, they, they want to audit or a regulated, regulated body wants to audit the process followed. So I guess what's the intent of the standard, do you think? So, so really it's just to make sure that a, a standard process is followed that allows basically the highest level of software quality to be generated by forcing, you know, all device developers to kind of work to this standard. You have kind of a, a baseline level of, um, you know, known documentation and, uh, you know, verification activities, which is, you know, formal testing, um, that has to be done. You know, software is interesting because you can start kind of making changes and, and, and it's, it's very easy to rapidly change things and 
you know, just by nature of it being software. So this a lot, you know, kind of provides the the framework and guide work to kind of put you in a best practice, um, you know, process that allows for that highest level of code. And, and really it comes down to, to the safety aspect. Uh, you want to develop software in these medical devices that is safe um, and effective. And, and by enforcing this, you know, lifecycle standard, you know, you're, 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 you're not totally eliminating the possibility for issues, but you're definitely kind of putting everyone on a, a good path to start ensuring that, you know, the best practices are followed during the software development life cycle. Let's talk a little bit more about when, when does 62304 apply? What, what types of devices and like maybe where and when in development does it apply? It starts from, you know, really the beginning of the process, you know, starting with uh, your requirement generation and continues throughout the entire life cycle all the way to your formal testing or formal verification. As for what it applies to, medical devices, either in, you know, a, a physical device such as a diagnostic device or a therapy device definitely applies. I, I think in terms of things that maybe aren't covered by 62304, uh, these could be your maybe research use only devices, you know, prototype things like that, that are, you're, you're really just trying to prove the technology, but there's no intention of having you know, a clinical trial or, uh, you know, that particular device making it to market. And so research, research use only sort of platforms, it, it doesn't apply. So I guess, why would you not follow 62304 if you're developing a medical device? What have you seen in your experience at Keytech? Sure. So I, I think it really comes down to, to timelines. The 62304 process, you know, it does take time to work through. Also, early on in early prototype devices, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you're pivoting in terms of technology or um, you need to get something together quickly for a demonstration or something like that. That's really where I've seen the process be, I don't want to say the corners are cut, but just where, where things are eliminated and you kind of get into that reactionary mode on the software development side where you know, you're, you're rapidly making changes and creating, you know, kind of a, uh, an internal architecture that maybe wasn't what you had intended to when you started the software development process. Got it. So the risk there, if, if you're a startup company is, you know, you're, you're not following the 62304 prescribed process and framework. You're scrambling to get a functional prototype out the door, whether it's for, you know, an animal study or, you know, potentially maybe even a, a clinical trial if it's low enough risk, but what is the risk if you don't comply? Like, what, what does it look like when you want to actually get into compliance to 62304 if, if you haven't? If you haven't followed this process from the beginning, uh, it, it can be kind of overwhelming to go back to the beginning. I mean, you know, typically everyone has software requirements, but if you haven't kind of thought through a proper software architecture, you haven't classified your software, you haven't determined, you know, what will apply at the 62304 level, you could find yourself in... Um, uh, a little bit of a bind, you know, trying to retro retroactively add, you know, the, those process activities back in and you have to kind of go through, you know, you almost have to start from the beginning on some level to make sure that you've, you've built in the, 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 you know, the quality that you want. Got it. So <clears throat> that, that's a good segue, I think, into helping, right? I mean, that's what we do at KeyTech and what, what all, you know, product development firms are trying to do is trying to help, help our customers, you know, efficiently use, you know, our resources. And so you know, you coined this term of following the, the spirit of 62304, which, which to me is like entrepreneurs speak for cheaper, but, you know, good quality software development to further along, you know, a platform to whatever the next milestone is, but maybe not actually commercial. Um, and so I guess just, can you, can you introduce to us what you mean by the, the spirit of 62304? And again, that's so what, what you're saying is, Let's go in and, and either re-architect uh, something that already exists or 
starting from scratch, maybe not fully comply with the standard, but, you know, follow the spirit of it. What do you mean by that? So, so really following the spirit means that, you know, you're not required to follow 62304 with these research used only devices or, or early prototypes. But if you follow, you know, kind of follow the spirit of 62304 or, or attempt to follow what makes sense for your current prototype, you can kind of allow yourself to kind of build the quality into your software and kind of build on um, a recognized standard so that when you get to the next level and you want to, you know, take this to a clinical uh trial or something like that, you've kind of already laid the groundwork. But at the same time, um, you can consider some portions of the standard, um, you know, not optional, but, but you can kind of shift where in time they take place. So by following the spirit, you know, you can, you know, get the, the higher quality software and, and have your groundwork for the regulatory agencies, but put off those activities that make sense to put off and that aren't required at the time to reach the level of quality that you're desiring. That makes sense to me. It's it's similar to the argument of, uh, like on the hardware side where you, you, you want to design a safe device, but maybe you're not doing full 60601 pre-screening testing to make sure that every last sort of mechanical or electric, electric, electrical sort of situation, you know, that your product will survive. You just want to do kind of the bare minimum to, to make sure your product is ready for use in a clinical trial or by demonstration by, by end users. So. I've seen and actually personally like run projects where you're kind of, I don't want to say shortcutting, but just following the spirit of a standard and testing what's most important. Sounds like similar, you know, here. You mentioned requirements and architecture a few times now, like what, what else are sort of the, the core elements of, um, you know, meeting the spirit? Sure. Yeah. So, so, so obviously 62304, uh, determines kind of the process that you need to follow documentation, you know, implementation standards, things like that. I guess specifically, uh, it's really dependent on the classification of the software. As I mentioned before, class A is is something that isn't necessarily uh, safety critical uh, and class C being the, the highest level of safe, safety criticality. Yeah, it was really dependent on the, the level of concern of your software and the software classification per 62304. But generally speaking, um, you, you have to work through your requirements. Uh, after you have the requirements, you trace that to your software architecture document that outlines all the architecture for class C modules. You have to do a detailed uh, design prior to implementation. We have all of our risk management documentation as part of 62304, you know, managing your software risks and making sure any risk mitigations are getting into your software requirements. And then uh, you have your, your formal implementation where you're implementing the architecture and requirements. Um, and then at the end of the process, you're doing your formal verification, you know, doing your unit tests, running uh, code analysis tools, things like that on the software that you've developed and then generating formal verification reports, proving that the software has met the requirements defined. Yeah, I guess, what are you not doing uh, by following the spirit? You sure. So that's as, the question. Yeah. So uh, things like, uh, you know, verification can be slid. It's really dependent on what your timelines are. You know, you can do kind of functional checkouts and then say, okay, we're going to save our formal verification, um, maybe unit tests, things like that. You won't write as many unit tests as, uh, you know, you need at the time. You can kind of shift out some of those to later to make sure you have the, the coverage metrics met that you've defined in your software development plan, which I guess kind of circling back uh, in a, you know, as part of the, the first step of the process is generating your, your software development plan that outlines how you're going to, you know, run the process, how you're going to meet, you know, if you're following 62304 normally, um, it defines, you know, what, how you're meeting all of the standards. But in, in this case where you're kind of following the spirit, it gives you the freedom to kind of go through 
and line by line determine, okay, you know, for this piece of software, we're going to follow, uh, you know, these elements of the standards and these we're going to shift off until kind of the next prototype or the, the clinical trial unit or something like that. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's certain, certainly, um, test time. I can, I can wrap my head around the time it takes to, to do, for example, unit testing and repeat testing, document it all. What, what kind of time savings are you, are you talking about here? Like roughly speaking. So a couple of, let's say it's a, um, you know, a, a, an at-home therapeutic device and you know, you're, you're, you're sprinting effectively to your first clinical trial and you're following the spirit of 62304. It's clear that you're not going to harm a patient with this product. And so you don't need to do full 62304. Are you saving months here or a month or I guess give us a sense for, for the time saving. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on the, 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 the scope of the development, but I mean, you know, I, I think you're, you're definitely saving, you know, upwards of, uh, you know, months during that, that testing phase and, and just kind of testing, you know, in a way that makes sense for the, the goals of the, uh, the device that you're working on really. So one of the entry points that, uh, you and I have, uh, talked about over the last couple of weeks and you've been working on is, is re-architecting software to, to following the spirit of 62304. So why, why is it important to have like a, a methodology for, for doing this, for re-architecting software? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is just building in that initial quality. Software is unique. And as, as I'd mentioned before, that you can, you can kind of start making changes you know, a little bit more rapidly than you can in some of the other, you know, mechanical or electrical design processes. You know, we can rapidly change software and that, that kind of leads to maybe changes that aren't completely thought through or things that we're doing kind of in a pinch in the short term until we can get, you know, updated mechanical hardware or electrical uh, boards or things like that. So it's important to follow a process when, you know, implementing changes on the software side. I, I don't think um, you want to get yourself into uh, a position where, you know, you've kind of rapidly added a new software module to to deal with a certain hardware quirk or something like that that will be eliminated in the next revision. So you want to make sure that you're following kind of a proper process and that you don't end up with code that, you know, hasn't been kind of through the the same rigor that you, you'd want it to get through. I'm all about process <laughs> for, for sure. And I know our clients are, but I guess just, we talked a little bit about time before. So to me, it, it sounds like following 62304 or the spirit of it is arguably slower than just going in there and fixing it. So, you know, cause you're taking more time, you're, you're applying this methodology. Um, does it save you time in the long run? Yeah, absolutely. I think going back to, you know, what I mentioned, I think when you develop without these processes in place and you're not you know, you're not setting up your requirements. You're not thinking through an architecture that can support the growth of the system. In the short term, maybe you save a little bit of time. Maybe you're able to, you know, get a release out sooner or get to a prototype a, a little bit sooner. But I think in the long run, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely losing time because, you know, to make the bigger changes that you most likely need to do to go from kind of an early prototype, you may not have the requirements. You may not have thought through kind of all those processes. So really, it's, it's kind of saving time in the long run and saving that time from the first step to the next step. You know, when you're going from your, your early prototype or your demo device to your clinical trial or to your on-market device. What are some examples of customers struggling by, by not applying this sort of methodology? Sure. I think the, the one that comes to mind first is that you end up with a code base um, that doesn't have uh, that pedigree or that, that um, you know, the documentation that's required to make the changes that you need to. You know, oftentimes you'll have, uh, you know, one set of developers working on the early prototype and then uh, either a different set or an external contractor come in 
And it's difficult to pick up where someone else has left off, especially if you don't have the design process, you know, elements in place. If, if you go through and the requirements don't trace to an architecture or the architecture doesn't trace to what's actually, actually implemented in the code, you can end up um, losing time trying to understand where the delta is there as well as, you know, why was something done in code this way, you know, versus in the initial documentation, it was, you know, specified a different way. So, so that's what I've seen probably uh, in the real world most often is just trying to understand and, and kind of work through those discrepancies. So I guess talk a little bit more about <clears throat> how you go about understanding what's been developed um, to kind of lay the groundwork for, for implementing 62.3.4. So the first thing um, that we typically do when approaching either a kind of a new code base or a new system is, is look at the documentation and, and talk to the developers that were involved with that process. You know, talk to them about, you know, 62304, you know, what, you know, what processes they may, may have followed. Did they follow 62304? What documentation was generated? And then start putting together the picture, you know, of this particular device, you know, starting with the safety classification of the software. You know, did the process elements that they follow match the, the safety criticality of the, you know, the device being developed? Then, you know, kind of checking that, the requirements and uh, architecture definition, uh, as well as looking at the code and making sure that actually follows what was done in the initial planning phases of uh, the, the project. So, you know, the next step you mentioned is kind of defining the architecture. You know, what do you mean by, by that? And specifically, like, defining the architecture by following the spirit of 62.304, but not actually following the standard. You know, Following this, the, at this at this phase of the, you know the the development process, you know the, the spirit is very similar to the actual standard itself. You know the architecture you're defining. Um, you know when we talk about architecture, we're talking about okay, are you going to have an embedded system that ha you know controls motors, pumps, things like that, and do you need a PC software that that kind of deals with the high level uh, you know the high level tasks, dealing with the user planning um, you know movements for a device or something like that. Uh, so when we say architecture, that's really what we're defining, you know, what needs to live on the firmware side, what is real time, has timing constraints, things like that, and what requires more storage and memory, you know, that would, that would fit better on a PC side. So really that's what we're defining. And if that is not done carefully, you could easily end up in a position where, you know, maybe you're trying to do everything in firmware and then you find out that um, all of a sudden you need to collect a, a large amount of raw data or something like this for a diagnostic device. And you just don't have um, the storage space to store it. So it's very critical early on to try to identify where those interfaces are, what each um, portion of the software is going to do, uh, and and why you know why it needs to do that. And then also thinking through the you know for the future. If you weren't uh, you know developing to the spirit of six two three zero four, you may just decide, okay, I'm going to just jump right in. I know what this device needs to do. I understand the firmware. We have our software requirements. Let's go ahead and just start implementing. Um, and, and that's where I think you, you kind of run into trouble where you've, you know, developed yourself into a little bit of a corner where you can't, you know, you can't with this, you know, the microcontrollers and the software architecture you defined actually accomplish the goals of the device. So by following the spirit, you know, you'll go through that, that architecture phase, think through it, trace it to your requirements. And then, you know, you, in theory, you're setting yourself up for a more smooth development in the future. So, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Roblox here in, uh, in this, uh, in this podcast. So, you know, I understand Roblox to be a little bit of building, a little bit of gaming, I guess, but I guess, you know, you, at the end you're using sort of tools and, um, existing things to build, you know, the, the metaverse, right? So I guess what, in your experience, what, what existing code or, um, you know, libraries, 
uh, do you call on um, to to efficiently architect these or re-architect these systems? So in our case, you know, a lot of the times we have a, a pretty strong understanding of, you know, what the, you know, the, the physical side of the, the system needs to do. You know, are we, are we piping fluid? Are we returning motors? Are we um, running pumps? Things like that. So we, we have a pretty strong understanding of those and we have developed multiple different kind of iterations of systems that use these. So uh, internally at KeyTech, we have kind of our own internal embedded software framework that allows us to quickly bring up, you know, a stepper motor or a pump or something like that to, to allow us to really kind of capitalize on the things that, you know, are not unique to the system, things that are, you know, fairly straightforward to control uh, and allows us to focus on the uh, I guess the, the the specifics of the device that we're we're working on and to be most efficient, you know, by using the reusable framework, we're able to bring things online, you know, on the order of days when we get a new PCB versus you know kind of weeks as it as it would be before, or if we were switching, uh, you know, microcontrollers or, or significant architecture changes. So when you when you go to rearchitect the software, um, and you know. And, and certainly you're leveraging existing code libraries and things like that. Does the platform have to be on the microcontroller that our code libraries, that, you know, here at KeyTech are, are built on? Not necessarily. Uh, it, it generally helps if we end up using something that we've used before. You know, in, in my experience, it's, it's helpful to use either the same manufacturer of microcontroller or um, family. But in general, the kind of the, the benefits of having a reusable framework are that, you know, it's, it's a slight step higher than the, the low level drivers that are actually talking um, to the peripherals or the, the hardware on the embedded system. So we can reuse, you know, those code modules, you know, across different microcontroller platforms. And I think in general, um, you know, the way that you architect a reusable framework, you know, it should allow for kind of the swapping out of the lowest level, the, the driver level and things like that. And, and obviously that just uh, it increases your efficiency and things like that. In terms of the the spirit of 62304, you know, I those code modules have been, you know, kind of vetted and been through the process as well. So, you know, we have architecture, you know, documents and things like that for these low-level modules and kind of mid-level modules that can be dropped in. And I think that's that's a generally a good approach, you know, when you're trying to follow the spirit of 62304. Um, you know, it gives you a kind of jumping off point and a baseline for some of that, you know, mid middleware uh, embedded firmware. It makes sense to have that framework that, that isn't so static that you, you, it doesn't apply everywhere or as many, as many, you know, different sort of inputs that we see, you know, we're, we're seeing almost all kinds of different operating systems and microcontrollers and whatnot that are, that have been baked in a lab and <laughs> are coming to, to, to the real world. It seems like 62304 is, is a very straightforward process to follow. And the, you know, the only, you know, in, potentially like obviously you need a development team that has experience you know in implementing the standard but it seems like the major trade-off as a startup is time development time right and 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 risk so i guess can you talk a little bit more about the time trade-offs here you know implementing 62304 or the spirit of 62304 um i think the real time savings is the fact that you're building up kind of a documentation package, a quality package, you know, that you've gone through, 
you know, kind of thought through all of the right things when developing your software. It may be in theory quicker to just kind of jump in and start implementing, but you may find yourself kind of backed into a corner where, you know, you need to change an aspect of your device. You needed to process multiple samples at once versus, you know, one sample. And you found that the way that you implemented everything kind of requires uh, almost a complete teardown of the software as it was written, I think is probably, you know, where you get your most time savings is, uh, you know, in the future, you know, going through this process allows you to kind of think through, think more broadly, um, you know, think about safety, consider the risks to your, your end users or the patients or the um, things like that. You know, I think you just save time doing that as well as if, you know, if you don't consider the risks, um, you know, early, you may end up designing something that, you know, kind of missed, you know, an, an important safety, you know, piece of the, the puzzle and, uh, you know, have to end up re-architecting the software anyway to deal with that safety risk. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, we've talked about requirements. We've talked about architecting. We've talked about uh, developing the code. Now let's talk a little bit more about evaluating. What are some of the tools that, that you use to, to evaluate the code in lieu of this extensive, you know, uh, unit testing and, and um, subsystem testing that are required of the standard? How, how are we sort of shortening that development time cycle by, um, by using some tools? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, we uh, we have implemented um, you know multiple different code quality analysis tools. I guess the the, the one that comes to mind is probably uh, you know a PC Lint, which is basically a a tool that you put your software through, um, and it will give you feedback on you know general quality. It will look for common mistakes, both in embedded and PC firmware, um, that can lead to either security holes or other sort of, uh, you know, bugs in your software. So, you know, we use that tool to kind of rapidly analyze our, our code and look for com common mistakes and things that are maybe not so common that, that could potentially cause issues in the future. Uh, on the PC side, um, we've used uh, similar tools. We used a tool called ReSharper on C-sharp code. It, it does a similar thing. It enforces styling. It looks for common programming issues and things like that. So, you know, by kind of implementing those, you, you get additional code quality, you know, metrics and, 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 and checks built into your process that allow, allow you to catch things early before they get into your prototype. I guess what, what message would you have for, call it the, um, the, you know, the, the, the physician entrepreneur who has a, a neighbor who's an engineer or something like that. Right. And, um, you know, they, they, they can program whatever, like what is, we're talking about the spirit of 62304, but what is like the, 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 the bare, bare minimum that you, you would recommend, uh, you know, the, the startup companies or. Um, you know, subsidiaries of global companies that are developing the next product, like what is the bare minimum that, that you would advise them to do to, you know, as they start to develop these products so that, you know, in six, nine, 12 months, when they're ready to, you know, take the next step, they're that much further along. Um, and, and to be honest, their, their platform, their, their company is valued more because it's less time to market. What, what would you think would be the bare minimum to do, to do? from a software development perspective to, to meet the spirit of the spirit of 62304. I think in terms of bare minimum, you really want to have a strong requirement set that is agreed upon by all of the stakeholders. You know, following up with that, you want to make sure you do a, a solid risk analysis to make sure that you are considering the risks of the, the device you're building, not only for its, you know, um, 
you know, current life as a research use only device, but but a potential future as a clinical uh, trials device or, or or an on-market device. And then also having a strong architecture um, to kind of prevent you from, you know, designing a piece of software that, that, that backs you into a corner that's going to require either a complete write, rewrite or a um, complete rework later on in the development process. I think really um, by by doing those things, you, you really set yourself up to have, you know, kind of that initial quality that you'll need to make the jump from kind of an early research use only device to, you know, an on-market or, uh, you know, clinical trial device. Yeah. So requirements, hazards, architecture. To me, as a, you know, former project manager, engineer, that that's, that's like picking the right, you know, microcontroller family that um, is going to be around in 10 years um, that has sort of like code libraries that exist. Like what, what, what else, what do you mean when, when you say like define sort of the right architecture? Sure. So, so it, it, that's, that's part of it, right? It, it's selecting a microcontroller that makes sense, selecting, um, you know, uh, other electronic components, uh, selecting a strong, you know, PC architecture, but, but really it's how you're designing your either embedded software or your PC software. You want to make sure that you're selecting, you know, modules that, that make sense, that are reusable, that are easy to test, you know, things like that. You you want to make sure you're considering all of this, you know, when you're building it up. You want to make sure that you're selecting languages that make sense. You don't want to just grab every module that's already out there and just kind of pull everything together. You want to make sure that things, you know, are going to work together that you are thinking to the future where in, inside your software, you're not building modules that are that are difficult to maintain or test. Really, you want to focus on that whole ecosystem of, of, of what's living on either the microcontroller or, or, or the PC system, really. You just want to make sure that you're selecting the right components that allow you to do what you want your device to do in the, the long run. Right. Yeah. So easy to test, I think, is a, a key word that applies almost every podcast we host here. If you aren't compliant to 62304 in your startup and you're looking to get acquired, I mean, that's going to significantly impact your valuation where someone's going to say that you got to rewrite all this code and, and you're losing six months to a year. So I think it's really, really important though, like on day one, like how do we kind of just skirt underneath the standard? We know it needed to meet it eventually, but we're going to do the bare minimum. That's why I was asking about that. Um, yeah. I think the main thing is you just, in the kind of the, the you know, the, what, what spurred this discussion is, you know, th that's kind of what happened on, you know, uh, one of these examples is that we, we ended up in a position where you had the hardware in place to do what you wanted to do, but the software was in a position where it took almost a complete rewrite to to do what we wanted to do. So, had, you know, kind of had you followed the the, the process of 6304 and kind of thought through it and, 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 you know, went through the effort of architecting and documenting everything, you might have ended up in a position where it would have saved a little bit more time, but. And that, that's RUO. In an RUO. RUO platform, right? Exactly, yep. And, and the thing is, and I, and I, it's just, you don't want to get into a position where, you know, in, in software, it's very easy to hack something together and make it work. Um, but, but you end up in a position where it's only working in certain instances. Um, and it's, hey, look, it works. But, but really, it's like, okay, well, what's the next step? Okay, we need to, you know, miniaturize the, you know, the, the hardware. We might need to change microcontrollers. And you're just in a position where everything you've written is, you know, kind of for that particular platform, for that architecture, and you're not in a, in a place to kind of jump ahead. Yep. Got it. So, so yeah, what I was, what I was saying is, you know, about the following 62304, I mean, you don't need to code to 62304, but if you follow the spirit of it, as you're saying, Jamie, 
you know, your, your prototype and ultimately your, your product company will be valued that much more at each milestone in the product development process, whether it's, you know, leading into kind of like a investor demonstration to, you know, early animal studies, or ultimately like, uh, out, out of a, uh, a, a clinical study, you know, if you're able to get in through an IRB without actually meeting the standard. Um, so I think it's, it's super important to follow, you know, the principles of 62304. And Jamie, I was going to ask you the question about, um, if you, if you don't follow the standard perfectly, right, but you're showing that you're making good design decisions along the way, what is left to be done, um, you know, after, you know, once you know, you definitely need to meet 62304. I, I think that's kind of the, the beauty of following the spirit really is that there isn't a lot more to do. I think you would go through, do your final risk analysis, evaluate the safety, reevaluate the software classification to make sure it, it still matches what the original intention was, you know, do a, a final review of requirements and architecture and, and implementation really. Um, but, it, but you don't have to kind of start from scratch and, and rebuild that documentation package. And you're not trying to add that, you know, kind of quality that the process brings after the fact. You know, really you have that, you know, from the start, even if there are some, you know, things that you have to do to, to be fully compliant, um, you know, with, with the standard itself. Got it. Awesome. Makes sense to me. I mean, it's very much like the, the lean prototyping um, you know, speed to sort of clinical data we've talked about on this podcast before is just do the bare minimum, get the data you need, and then, you know, add on or do any sort of gap analysis after you have the, the clear data you need, whether it's clinical or, or, um, you know, functional data, you know, close that gap and then you're on the market and, and you're doing things most efficiently. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, www.keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks. <laughs>